listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. I'm good, man. Second day of a new career. Uh, working new career. As, yeah, new career. Working as the oh, that sounds interesting director of digital identity advisory services at RSM US LLC. I think I got that right. LLP. LLP. Darn it! Darn it! Yes, that's <laughs> correct. I'm getting yes. there. It's very exciting. It's it's day two. We're together again. Um, the uh, the identity mullet lives on, as our friend Jody says. So uh, hopefully she's listening. Congratulations to you. Uh, and to me as well, since we're building quite quite the, quite the practice here, so this is pretty cool. But yeah, very excited to have you on board, and uh, you know, to to the moon, as the kids say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited, man. I mean, everybody I've met so far has been super helpful, and uh, you know, it's like it's always a nervous uh, thing starting with a new organization. I mean, heck, you just went through it not that long ago, but. Um, you know, knowing you and then all the other folks who have been very gracious has uh, has made it quite enjoyable for the first day and a half. Yeah, the honeymoon uh, period is alive and well still. So yeah, yeah, good. I've got I've got a little bit. <laughs> we didn't of time, scare you so. off with like we didn't scare you off with like crazy orientation or or stupid stuff like that. <laughs> no, no, and uh, already starting to book some travel. So planning on being out at the Gartner IM Summit in Las Vegas. Was that uh, August twenty first through it's August twenty second to the twenty fourth? It's a Monday through Wednesday this year. Uh, instead of the normal sort of like after Thanksgiving before Christmas, uh, they've moved it up to August. So yeah, we're both going to be in Las Vegas, which is very cool, and we're going to plan on doing some podcast recording out there as well. Try to find a, a quiet corner for us to do our shenanigans in, and maybe invite some folks over and, and have conversations with, which would be pretty, pretty neat, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, a real key. So if you're, if you're listening and you want to meet us or maybe, you know, get involved with the podcast in any way, um, just reach out to either Jeff or I, or both of us use LinkedIn is probably the, the best tool to do so. And, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, uh, meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. Do the proverbial fist bump and, uh, and yeah, just have a conversation and, and keep it real. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm young and hip at this point with keep it real and to the moon, but to the moon is, the way is, I feel is right not now. even close to new, is it? Isn't that from like, I mean, the, I think it says like the, like the meme stocks and things like that, but that was kind of like, you know, at least where I've heard it most recently is like in the, in the con, in the context of, you know, some junk crypto coin, I probably shouldn't say junk, but, some cryptocurrency, you know, being artificially inflated and, and pushed sky high. Oh, I guess I was thinking of the old Ralph from the Honeymooners to the moon with the you, Alice. <laughs> I think of like, you know, one of these days, pow, right in the kisser. <laughs> <laughs> so politically, incorrect. which I don't think you could probably say that on TV these days. Yeah, I'd probably be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, right. um, yeah so we're going to be at Gartner. Uh, Jim has joined me over at RSM, which is awesome. So looking forward to continued success there. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a lot of like cool feedback uh, over the last, I don't seems like the last couple of weeks from people who've been listening to the show um, on LinkedIn, which is pretty neat. It's always interesting to see kind of like who's listening, right? Who's sending in the feedback, but also where they're at. And it's pretty neat. We're truly are a, a global show at this point. Got you know thousands of folks listening you know, to, to our to our identity stuff uh, pretty much every week, which is very neat. And so what I thought we'd do this week is take some of the questions that we've gotten over the last really kind of few weeks and do you know what we like to call in the biz a mailbag episode <laughs> in the so biz. taking questions in the biz. That's right. As professional podcasters, is take a few questions that we've received that we thought were pretty interesting and maybe the the audience might get uh, uh, some interest from and you know answer them, put our spin on it and, and see where things go. So um, we've selected three and we'll start with the first question and I'll just read them off here. Uh, this is from Joe in California. We'll, we will leave last names and companies out to keep, uh, just to make sure that we, you know, don't out people where maybe they don't want to be or whatever it is, but Joe in California, what is more important having an IM program? And I think by this, he means the people and sort of like the process or having IM technology like Okta, SailPoint, or CyberArk. So things like access management, identity governance, privilege access tools. So I think the intention here is like, where do you start maybe? Do you do you start with people and process in the program? Or do you get a technology first and then kind of build around that? What are your thoughts, Jim? Well, I've seen both be successful. I think that this is one of those consulting answer depends because I think it depends on the size and maturity of the organization. If you have a very large organization, you've got to assume that there's some kind of footprint of the technology already in place, maybe some, some old Oracle technology, or maybe a custom homegrown solution for, you know, managing access requests, routing, provisioning requests, things like that. Maybe some kind of spreadsheet process for reviewing access certainly doing some level of authentication, right? People don't just, even in small organizations, you don't just go to an application and get access to the crown jewels of the organization. So, you know, single sign-on and even privilege access, there's gotta be some level of technology there, even if it's not good, right? Even if the end users have to have eight usernames and passwords, or even if you're doing some kind of, you know, not, very secure way of managing shared passwords and stuff like that. So in that case where you've got um, technology, but you know, it's not the right or appropriate technology, I say start with the program because then you bring the stakeholders to the table, you put together a strategy and you go through a formal process to select the right technology based on your use cases and requirements. Now, if you're in the case where you actually have an absolute vacuum of technology or you're, you're coming up, right? Especially smaller organizations, it's not going to be appropriate probably for a hundred, 200 person organization to have a whole, a lot of whoopla around having an IAM program. And I think starting with, you know, ideally you have a trusted partner who knows the landscape well enough and can advise you in more of an informal way rather than going through a whole strategy development and here are the technologies that would be a good fit for you that i think are you know mapped to your technology skill sets or whatever and then 
I think it makes sense where you can start with technology. But I think for, again, larger organizations who find themselves, you know, it's kind of, they've become laggards in this area in terms of their technology footprint, starting with a program really makes sense. What do you think? Yeah, I find it um, difficult to believe that there's not any technology there. You know, Active Directory is probably the most prevalent. Most most organizations have it or they have Azure or you know, Google by way of like Google Office or Google Mail. Um, I guess I still want to start with people and process though, because if I don't know who owns identity and who's responsible and accountable for those services, it's really tough to really get anything going from a measurement aspect and just from an accountability aspect, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I know plenty of organizations, they'll go off and say, yeah, we're going to go buy, you know, X tool. And there isn't an IM program. And they sometimes struggle with that because they don't really have any direction. They're like, oh, yeah, we need a password tool. So we're going to go buy you know, LastPass, not to pick in a particular company or, or Okta or Duo, right, for MFA or whatever it may be. They're, they're buying a tactical solution and not really thinking strategically. So I, I tend to lean towards people in process because my thought is, Lots of companies get away without having a ton of IM technology. Probably have authentication, like you mentioned, but lots of companies don't have identity governance administration technology. Lots of companies still don't have a, you know, a privileged access management vault or session monitoring and recording, you know, capabilities or key rotation or secrets management and rotation, you know, things like that. But they do have people and they do have processes. <laughs> so even if, you know, it is a manual environment, at least there's some direction and some accountability for the delivery of those admittedly very manual services. So I like to start with people in process because it generally takes some, you know, some um, uh, buy-in and some, some consens consensus building to buy some of these more, um, you know, dedicated technologies that are frankly getting, you know, more and more expensive all the time. So that's tend to, uh, you know, that's, I guess that's where I tend to start, but you know, the consulting answer, it, it depends, but I think in a vacuum, I'd, I'd want to know who owns IAM. And to me, that's people in, in process and the IAM program itself. Yeah. I mean, I think when you think about moving up the maturity rankings in terms of having a program, you're talking about formalizing the program, making it more formal. Um, when you think about other areas of maturity, it's about instituting autom automation, paper trail you know, things to make it operate better in terms of that, that program formality, I think the smaller, more immature organization, you still need a strategy, right? I, I don't think it makes sense for anybody to just go out, buy technology and throw technology at a solution and hope it works, but you probably don't need all the formal steps that a larger organization would require. You don't need maybe a steering committee meeting with a representative from all these different parties. You can do it a little more informally. If you're the technology leader, you can kind of come up with the strategy or work with your uh, trusted partner to come up with the strategy and then start implementing it. If you're in a larger organization, especially a global organization where you've got stakeholders, different business units or different geographies, as well as different departments, you've got to come up with a way to keep those folks included, you know, get their buy into the strategy, keep them, you know, knowing, understanding what their involvement has to be going forward. So 
you know, I think it's everybody needs a strategy. It's just how much, how much, um, formalization do you put around that process depends on where you are in terms of your size and maturity of, a, of an organization. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that word formality, because I think sometimes we get stuck in sort of like this definition of like, oh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a black tie, you know, suit and super formal and, you know, very rigid. And I hear that all the time. It's like, okay, we need a more formal IM program, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is, you know, eight people sitting at a conference room, you know, raising their thumbs like American Idol to say yes or no, <laughs> whether or not this project is going to go forward. But I do think it, 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 that there is some structure to the way that the program is being run. Doesn't mean that you need to have, you know, suits and ties and all that, all that fun stuff. It can be more informal as long as there is someone in charge, that there is some rhyme or reason that things are moving forward. You're right. You don't need, you know, all that uh, hoopla, as you mentioned, <laughs> you know, for the smaller organizations. You might have it that you're, you know, wearing multiple hats, et cetera. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of picked that because I, 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 I sometimes struggle with that word and kind of talking with clients. Okay, well, you know, we got to get just more formal with the identity program itself. But what does that actually mean? The real world doesn't necessarily mean, you know, death by committee or, you know, 800 steps to get anything done. I think it just means having more structure to the program. And maybe, and maybe structure is a better word when it comes to, you know, hey, let's, let's make sure we have a more structured IAM program, that there is some, some guide guidelines or rails to keep people on. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the bigger organ, bigger the organization is, the more that structure is going to be important. The, you know, like, let's take this example. You know, the way I like to run an IAM program that a larger organization is you have a set of policies and standards. Those policies and standards are meant to be applied to all of your technology. So if you have a password policy, for example, password's got to be 12 characters long. That applies to every system in your organization, right? Now, you may have a group that runs a mainframe that can only do an eight character password. I'm, I'm picking on this because it's such a common example, right? Or some system only allows an eight character password, can't live with the password policy, can't integrate to your SSO technology. I think the proper solution is that they should have to apply for a formal exception. You know, now if you're in a 200 person organization, that's, that's overkill. Right. I mean, it's, what's the point? It's like, you, you've only got so many applications that you need to, to manage, but if you've, you're in an organization with, you know, hundreds or even thousands of applications, you know, you, you've really got to run things through the formal process. Yeah. How do you track it? Right. I mean, I think even if you're just writing it down on a piece of paper, it's like, okay, we know that there was this app out there, it, you know, we're not going to formally manage it, but at least we know about it. I think that's just having that structure and the process to it and kind of grow into it. I don't think it's something you need to like solve overnight, but I think you should start to think about as the organization grows, maybe you're not going to be a 200 person or a 50 person organization forever. You know, maybe that you do grow at some point, the sooner you start to have structure, the easier it will be to kind of grow and mature that sort of thing. Yeah. Any other okay. questions Let's in the mailbag? Yeah, let's go to Andrew in Georgia. I like this question because this is something that uh, I like to ask when, I, when I'm talking with customers too, is he asks this, are social media accounts in the scope of IAM? 
I think yes, but my management disagrees. What are your thoughts? So Jim, are social media accounts in the scope of IM? Do you side with Andrew or are you management? Boo. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's a great question because I don't think there's one answer. Um, here's what I, I kind of think. I don't think it's in the core of what most IM programs are focused on. Most IM programs are going to be focused on the use case around, you know, employee access. Now, if you use the broad definition of who has access to what, it's definitely included in that. So is also included is all the people who work for your company, if they have access to, you know, Wells Fargo or Bank of America systems or uh, other systems where they have accounts that were issued by other companies. So you should be managing all that as well as your social media. I guess where I'm going with it is, is that I don't think it's core scope of IM, but I do think it eventually gets there. So if you're building, if you're starting from a very immature point, you're probably not all the way there. So I guess what I'm saying is that if you're an organization that is very much in the public eye, it becomes much more important that you're able to manage those social media accounts. But I'd say also, you really have to work with the teams that use them to make sure it's a good user experience, right? It can't be like, hey, the person's got to go to CyberArk to check out a password to use the Twitter account. That's just not, that's not going to flow well enough. So you have to look at solutions designed specifically for social media. Yeah. I, I'll be honest, I was not with you until you added your caveat at the end about, um, you know, social media being a core use case. Definitely then I think it is at the scope. I, th I think in general should be in scope, but I think you have to define what that scope is. Are you actively managing the account or are you providing guidance to the team, probably marketing or communications that is actually controlling the account? I think at a minimum, you're at least providing guidance and a set of policies, procedures, standards, whatever it may be for them to follow that aligns with your IAM program policy and standards. Make sure MFA is turned on. Make sure that if, you know, there's a review of who has access to those accounts and that they're not posting stupid stuff because we see that all the time. You know, someone's getting breached, making sure they have MFA so that those breaches are, you know, minimize the chances of it, those sorts of things. There are certainly dedicated tools out there to manage those accounts, but they are pretty specific. Um, it surprises me a little bit that the privileged access management players, the big ones like CyberArk, BeyondTrust, uh, Delinea, formerly known as Dicotic and, and Centrify and, and others, haven't really embraced figuring out how to manage some of those use case, some of those social media type accounts more directly, rather than just having a simple vault. Um, I'm, I, it's not it's not an area that I'm ex, an expert on from a technology standpoint, but you have things like Hootsuite that has some capabilities out there that you know can probably help out. I know there's another one. Actually, there was somebody who reached out on LinkedIn recently. Um, we got to get in touch with that person and, and maybe get them on to talk about kind of management of social media accounts from an identity perspective. But I do think they they should be at a minimum governed by policy and standards, but they should not be forgotten and just left for some other team to kind of figure out. I think they should be included as part of the strategy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, see, you have the advantage that I have to go and answer first and then you get to just, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, what you just said there with the, the 
my mind went right to, okay, how do you get to a point where you're actually responsible for managing them, which is much harder than, you know, having a policy in place and having a policy in place. Let's, let's be frank as like, there's no money involved with putting a policy in place. Um, and even tracking whether or not the policy is being followed is not that much. There's not that much of an investment there. Now, in terms of using technology to do it, to deal with essentially what I think are going to be shared accounts, right? Because let's imagine you're a sports league and you've got social media, like you've got a Twitter account and you, you know, are taking pictures from games or videos from games and you want to get them posted on the Twitter. I'm not sure exactly how most of those leagues work if they've got 30 people or 15 people who are at all the different games who could potentially do that, or if it gets funneled back to some central source and they post it. But the more bureaucracy that is involved with that process, the slower it's going to be to get that video online. And like the name of the game, I think it's got to be speed to getting it online before somebody else goes and seals or thunder, right? If it takes 12 hours to get a a five second video online, then what's the point? Yeah. That timeliness, I think of the delivery of the content is obviously important to social. Um, yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking about actively managing it. I think that frankly is a losing battle right now. If you don't have specialized social media technology, identity controls, like if you're trying to do it through you know, your average access management or identity governance or even privileges that privilege access management tools. I don't think that's a winning fight right now, but I do think they should at least be accounted for from a strategy and from a program perspective. And then, you know, the organization has decided do they want to make the investment in a, spe- a specific tool that covers those specific use cases or not. I think and you're right. We have to get, I'm guessing get most some, don't. We have to get someone on who can kind of, Give us the lay of the landscape in terms of uh, the technology that's available, you know, to, to yeah. start to manage it. But you're right on with the with, in terms of the policy. I think what I was, you know, where my head was with Andrew's question was, you know, if I'm a company that somewhere in the United States and we make boxes, like, you know, all right, and they call me in to put together an IM strategy my big focus isn't going to be on their Twitter account. <laughs> right. And it's, it's way out in terms of, of, um, priority. However, if you're yeah. obviously the higher profile company, the, the more, the more you're a target for those social media account, uh, hacks. I think I at least take a minute to ask the question and find out. And if I'm comfortable with what's being done and the controls, you know, I'm thinking about like from a, either an IAM program manager or maybe a CISO. Um, I have a lot of targets, <laughs> right? It might not be the highest priority, but at least I ask the question and sort of make a mental note of where that is. And maybe if they're not using MFA, maybe that's the immediate thing. Get MFA on that account and we'll come talk to you in a couple of years, <laughs> right? But at least get MFA. MFA is right. I would at least ask a basic question and then move on to things that might be more strategic from an identity perspective, for example. Yeah, where MFA can, can start to be a real headache though, we did talk about this in our MFA discussion is shared accounts. Yeah. 
So yeah. if you're using it, I'm using it. All right. Well, who gets the SMS text? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, by the way, you're, you know, here's maybe this is a little bit of banter, but um, you're controlling the questions in the mailbag. But I just got a message from Matt asking, oh, so you and Jeff both went to RSM. What's going to happen to the podcast? Well, we are still actively recording it <laughs> as we speak, uh, as uh, as both employees of RSM. So that's what's happening to the podcast. Yeah. Nothing is happening. We are going to continue to do this uh, as we have for the last three years. Um, we just celebrated our third birthday. This is episode 155. I think we're averaging like 1.1 episodes per week if you do sort of like the math. But uh, yeah, the plan is to keep this going. We'll still keep it, you know as weekly as, as we can, as we have over the years. So no changes, not anticipating any huge, you know, uh, commercials or branding exercise or things like that. I'm sure we might talk about some things in the future, but it'll be the same, you know, vendor neutral Jim and Jeff show, uh, you know, that we run kind of independent from, uh, from our real jobs. So good question. I'm glad somebody brought that up. Yeah. All right. Anything else in the mailbag? Yeah, let's do one more here. Uh, Nigel in Belgium. Uh, where This is a good one. Um, where does privacy sit within an organization? Should the IAM team own that? Generally, I would say no. The IAM team doesn't own privacy. There's going to be, uh, you know, a bigger organization. You'll have like a chief privacy officer and a whole privacy team. Um, but I think IAM... Um, has privacy as a stakeholder. I am, or privacy is going to provide requirements. I think getting them involved early in the development of your strategy is the way to go. If you already have your strategy developed, you know, work with them to make sure that they support the strategy that it accomplishes. I think the other thing to, to be aware of is that their space is evolving even more quickly than, than ours with the, I am digital identity space. I am digital identity is definitely evolving quickly, but privacy keeps evolving even more quick than that because, you know, states and countries are constantly putting out new regulations and it's changing that landscape. So that could be impacting the regulatory environment or the legal environment for your organization and your IAM team needs to adapt to that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a matter of, working hand to hand with privacy. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the overlap becomes a little stronger if you're thinking about it from like a customer identity perspective where those controls need to be built potentially into like a profile management system or something like that. Um, I see a, a greater hand in the steerage <laughs> maybe of of how that uh, might work within the concept or the the the, the framework of, of what the IAM program is looking to accomplish with the customers. Probably less so on the employee side because I don't think I typically see privacy management for the employee, but definitely on the customer side. I, I would say I agree, though. I, I don't think IAM owns it. I think they're a partner in potentially delivering some of the services behind it from a user, just user experience perspective, maybe, um, or storage maybe of certain bits of data within like a you know, master user directory or profile or, or whatever it may be, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I've been involved with enough projects where, you know, as this whole privacy landscape from GDPR on has evolved, right? And 
when IAM teams kind of get in their own sphere of trying to solve, okay, what is our privacy landscape and what, how do we have to build our IAM systems? It can really throw a whole wrench in the works in terms of data residency and things like that. And like, you just don't have the knowledge to answer those questions. And it's, it's beneficial to be able to go to somebody who can speak authoritatively on this is how these regulations affect our company and how we need to address them in terms of our system deployment. And so if you have a privacy office, that's, you know, the starting point. I also think, you know, if you don't potentially pulling in somebody from your legal team who is responsible for how those regulations affect your company is going to be key. Yeah, I totally agree. It's hard to be an expert on everything. Privacy is evolving so so quickly and the methods with which to control that and the laws around the world are constantly changing. Seems like uh, there's a new one popping up every six months or a year or so in different countries. So, um, you know, it goes, I th- for me, I, I think about it from a base use case perspective. This is like a question that, that I think I hear a lot is, you know, how are we going to manage all these different privacy regulations? And my general guidance is they're all pretty similar. It's really about making sure you have the appropriate audit trail. You've got the appropriate, you know, controls to be able to remove or, you know, or uh, obfuscate data, you know, based on the user, those sorts of things. If you can do those basic things, chances are you're probably in a, in a much better position to comply with whatever privacy regulations come up. And those are sort of like base, you know, um, plumbing essentially from an identity perspective. Yeah, those are great points. All right. Why don't we go ahead and wrap it up for this week? Uh, thanks to Joe, Andrew, Nigel, and, and a few others who sent questions in, um, before we go, I, Jim, I know that you, I just moved. I think you're looking at moving soon and we're going to go positive this week because I think when people think about moving, they think of, at least I do, maybe some of the hassles that go along with it, right? You know, you know, moving stinks or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. But what's your favorite thing about moving? Favorite thing about moving. It's tough because I'm one of those people who, you know, my, my general belief is that we can all agree that moving is a pain in the neck. (laughs) So I can easily get dragged into that, that negative. But I think if you think about moving from the standpoint, not the, the act of moving because the act of moving, I don't think. I think you have to be a sadist to think that's fun. Uh, but if you think about the end product of moving, it's like you're moving, hopefully, to have a better life. And I'm thinking, you know, with my move, like the company that does my trash pickup, some weeks they just don't show up. And so I have a trash can that's like overflowing with trash. I'm like really hoping that that's not going to happen anymore. Um, my internet. My Wi-Fi, you know, good once a month will just be garbage for an entire day. And it's really hard to to do customer calls and things like that when your Wi-Fi is just going up and down all day. So hopefully my Wi-Fi provider will be better. And, and I, you know, when I think about that, I'm like, I know people are like, you've got to live in the moment. I've been hearing this advice all my life and I think it's good advice because you don't, otherwise your life just speeds by you. But when you're in these times where it's like time to hunker down, just get stuff done. And maybe your, your circumstances aren't 
that great, like you're in the middle of a move or, you know, what, whatever reason, don't live in the moment, <laughs> live in like this picture of the future of where you're heading. And if you're not happy with where you are, don't fixate on the fact that you're not happy where you are. Think about where you're going. And so that's what I, I also like about moving is like, gives me a picture of like where I'm going. It's going to be better. And I can go through kind of those hard times to get to that, that better state. Sounds to me like you're full of hope when you're moving. <laughs> yeah. Hope for better things. I think that's a good outlook. I think uh, for me, I think the best thing is it's a good opportunity to like clean house, get rid of drawers full of crap that you don't need. You know, everybody, I think everybody at this point has like that box of cables <laughs> that they've stored that are like, oh, here's my, you know, USB type B cable from like 20 years ago. Well, maybe I might need that. If it's been in a box for 20 years or five years or whatever it is, you probably don't need it. Probably a good idea to like purge or recycle, you know, some of that stuff. So I certainly did that. I cleaned, I cleaned a major house when I moved. Like I just had, you know, decades of just stuff. I was like, I, I, I haven't used it. It's time to go. And uh, so I think, I think that, that, that fret that helps with a fresh start too. It's like, okay, we've, we're not bringing that baggage literally, <laughs> you know, with us to the new place is, uh, you know, start with a little bit more of a clean slate, which is always kind of cool. I don't know about that, man. I'd never throw cables away and I've had, so especially plugs. So if you have a, mm. a, a plug that on the other end has some kind of random connection, you just never mm -hmm. know when that's going to come in handy. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I just, I bit the bullet. It was just kind of like, I had so many cables. I'm like, okay, well maybe I'll use that. And I, I, I downsized. I didn't get rid, of, get rid of them all. So now I have like a box with cables. I have a box with like power related items. But now I only have one box of each instead of like multiple. So I feel like I made progress. And, you know, now I'm starting to pull some of that stuff out and kind of redeploy, you know, how things are in, in the new house we've got. So, well, I like that. Um, and you actually yeah. know where it is now. Yeah, uh, try to be a little more organized uh, with some of that stuff. It was good. It was a good opportunity to like, okay, you know, you start. I, I still have a junk drawer, so of course, you know, it's like my odds and ends. Everything goes in there, but try to be a little more consistent with what I'm doing with other stuff. But I'm yeah. still working on my office in, in the new place. I haven't been home much uh, for the last few weeks since we moved because I've been on the road. As I come to you live from Racine, Wisconsin, as I record this in a, in a hotel, so. Um, I'm looking forward to having a couple of days at home at some point <laughs> to be able to continue to work on. What on is Racine, Wisconsin known for? Um, well, let's see. Frank Lloyd Wright, probably, because this is where lots of his architecture uh, resides from homes to SC Johnson has their headquarters here. They have um, uh, the research tower that's part of their property. They also have the administrative building that has it's the building that has what they call like the, I think called it the water lilies, where it is like these essentially spires that are inside uh, their, one of their offices. Um, so there's that. Um, Kringle, which is like a pastry uh, up here. It's kind of similar to like a Danish um, is, is very popular around here. I'd never heard of it until I started to come in here with some regularity, but uh, I think those are, Probably the two things it would be like Frank Lloyd Wright architecture and Kringle. And 
I'm sure my friends in Racine will probably tell me there are other things, but those are the things that I think of. <laughs> well, the, the Kringle thing reminded me of when we were in Buffalo. What was the famous meal that we had in Buffalo? In Buffalo or Rochester? Of Rochester. You are talking about the garbage plate? Yeah. <laughs> Did we do an episode of the podcast called yeah. The Garbage Plate? Yeah, we, we definitely called it. I think it was like another odds and end episode. It was uh, kind of like this. It was the, I think I called it like the, like the I am garbage plate or something like that. But yeah, it was something we did around, around the time that we were both in Rochester. For, for so work. for people who don't know what the garbage plate is, it's like whatever they have in the kitchen, uh, it could be French fries, some meatloaf, some whatever, throw it on the plate. Leftovers. Leftovers. Uh, yep, I like throwing leftovers. Out a plate and, uh, yeah. Leftover pizza, leftover lasagna. Second day lasagna is amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about like that, but it's good stuff. All right. We are way off topic, but again, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Eh, that's fine. This is the this is our 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 time, our fun time. Yeah. Um we'll go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Um again, we'll be at Gartner. So if you want to do the fist bump or maybe, you know, help contribute or be part of the the podcast, Jim and I are planning on doing some live recording out there and uh kind of making plans around that hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, we're always happy to, you know, talk with folks. If you've got questions about different things or want our thoughts and opinions, you know, send them our way. We'll get them incorporated into the show at some point. And uh, yeah, with that, uh, hit us on the web, identityatthecenter.com, Twitter at IDAC podcast. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.